What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No intro, no music, another episode of Hashtag Saints Twitter Podcast. I feel a little off that we're hosting a podcast, but maybe a, a distraction even for an hour or so is, is needed right now. Um, we got another big fish, um, Mike Triplett joining us of ESPN. Um, I've met Mike before. So the first thing I want to just get off my chest is, I'm still salty that you didn't ride the bull at the Saddle Ranch. Uh, you, you chickened out. Nick chickened out. It was just me, only one who was man enough to get on the bull. And what happened, Mike? What happened? Well, first of all, I have ridden the bull at Saddle Ranch. So <laughs> mo- multiple times in my life. So I didn't feel I needed to prove anything to anyone that day. I really think your ire should be directed toward the people who, who didn't do it and have never done it. Starting with <laughs> I've seen the video I had about a week. So <laughs> I forget it existed. <laughs> um, so we're just, we, we're bringing you on to talk, talk about same stuff. I mean, this off season is crazy in terms of the virus and then pretty much there's there may be mini camps opening potentially depending on what what happens just in the terms of just the outlook of the current team which i know it's a good problem to have but Mm -hmm. with the amount of talent that's on the team and where they stack up in the nfl in total like as fans should we be nervous in terms of if this team doesn't live up to their potential yeah, look, there's a couple there's a couple ways you could look at it. The positive or 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 spinning it positive would be there's few teams in the NFL that are better equipped to handle this. There's no coaching change, there's no new quarterback, there's barely any new players. I think Emmanuel Sanders will be okay. Uh, I think they'll figure out what to do with Cesar Ruiz and 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 uh, Eric McCoy. Um, it's got to be a lot harder for the teams. Look at the Carolina Panthers, for example. They've got a Matt Rule and Joe Brady and, and Teddy Bridgewater. It's going to be a hard offseason for them. We saw this in 2011, and that was the best Saints team, I think, maybe ever. Uh, and they went 13-3. and three. So that's the positive spin. The negative is, boy, doesn't it feel like the Saints, like they feel like they're one of the two or three or four best teams in the NFL, but it feels like that window is getting smaller and smaller every year. And, and, and you don't want any opportunity, you don't want them to be cheated out of any opportunities because uh, there's so few and far between now. Yeah, I mean, when you look at, you know, this past offseason, we had the great last dance, uh, last dance series that was on ESPN. And I just felt like it was kind of a symbol of this is the last dance for this, you know, Sean Payton, Drew Brees era of the Saints. You know, I know we don't know if Drew – I mean, obviously if Drew Brees wanted to go another year, he probably could sign another extension. But there's the whole NBC deal with him uh, being a broadcaster. And I just can't help but feel like 
all the chips. I, the last few years, I feel like there have been all the chips on the table. But yeah. this year in particular, <laughs> I feel like every single chip is on the table and they are going for broke. This is it. Like, they have to do it now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel sort of like that specifically with Breeze. I mean, I feel like if the entire season got canceled, wouldn't it be hard for him to really walk away after a canceled season uh, and maybe next year becomes his last season? I, you know, it's, it's impossible to know how he would handle something like that. It definitely feels like the last season for Breeze or, or the last season for Breeze at the peak of his powers. Uh, and for that reason, I agree. They should win now. The, the one thing I did write, though, this offseason is, Every I've covered the Saints ever since Drew Brees has been here. And for the first 12 or 13 of them, it felt like, man, if they didn't have Drew Brees, it'd be over. Uh, and I feel less like that than I used to. Uh, I feel like this team is more built to replace the quarterback and, and still be okay. We just saw it when they went 5-0 and with Teddy Bridgewater last year. So I don't think as soon as Drew Brees walks away, the days of the Saints as contenders are gone. But if we're talking about the Saints being an elite team that's stacked at every position, obviously that includes Drew Brees at quarterback. Speaking of just you, you know, you, you mentioned it. You've been covering the Saints for since as long as Drew's been here. I want to tie that into your connection you have with with the fans or you know with with Saints Twitter. It's been you you know we had we had Ramon on. Um, on here, and but kind of before Ramon, I think you were the first one of the first you, Larry, uh, but you stick out to me as one of the first people that really kind of embraced um, Saints fans and Saints Twitter. Um, and I know that I, I feel like that's not commonplace in regards to beat writers and other media forms, especially on Twitter. Um, what led to your connection with you know, kind of embracing Saints Twitter? Um, and interacting with the fans as openly as you do? Well, first of all, I'm a sports fan. Um, and and I've always, you know, I mean, I take my role as a, a journalist seriously. And look, I didn't grow up in New Orleans and I didn't grow up as a Saints fan. So, um, you know, uh, I'm I'm not exactly, you know, grew up a Saints fan, but I know that's who I'm writing for. I write for, you know, I write the kind of stories and report the kind of stuff and give people the kind of, you know, details that I want as a Saints fan. I mean, uh, or as a sports fan. And, and, and you know, you guys are who I'm here for. Um, it's tough. It's tough to navigate Twitter, especially um, because I, I mentioned this to you guys online, uh, I think a week or two ago, that I really value you guys because I know where you come from uh, and I respect you guys and, and the, the things you talk about and the feedback I get from you helps me do my job. But it, it's cloudy out there. You know, you don't know who's, you don't know who's the diehard fan. You don't know who's just trolling. You don't know who's trying to get a rise. I'll, I'll tell you what, it's really, really strange to me that the Saints have gone 13-3 and three each of the last two seasons and obviously had really ugly playoff exits. But, man, there's more disen- – I've noticed more disenchantment in the last oh. two years than I did oh. in the first ten combined. And and it's so tough. And, and then I'll get caught up every once in a while going on a rant like, geez, one, one of the days that I w- spent more time on Twitter than ever before was shouting down Saints fans who, who said what a horrible job Sean Payton did after they lost to the Niners 48-46 or whatever. You know, it's like, <laughs> am I screaming? And I'm like thinking, am I screaming at 15 people uh, on Twitter or am I screaming oh. at 85% of the families? And I don't I, – sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I don't know anymore. Um, but that's why it's so valuable for me to, to sort of have my go the same way you have your go-to reporters and, and, and I, I value trying to be that for the diehard dedicated fans. It helps me to have the, the go-to fans that, that I'm like, am I reaching them? Am I answering what they want to know? What are they talking about? That's valuable. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out. The, the past few seasons, especially with the way they've ended, You've definitely seen that kind of nihilistic disenchantment with with the uh, Saints fans because I guess it's kind of the curse of winning 
mm-hmm. you know, you're winning, but you see it in a lot reaching. of fan bases. You sure yeah, see it in a lot of fan bases. You know, like the Patriots, you know, I mean, obviously we're a different realm from the Patriots, but, you know, they go, you know, 14 and two and don't reach the Super Bowl. And it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> but with us, I guess with the Saints fans, it's, it's like this window is so short and we see it yeah. ending, you know, and a lot of fans are just like, Oh, it's like right there, and you just can't touch it. You yeah. know, I mean, it's it's one of those things. Like we, you had the three seasons of seven and nine, and you know, I, honestly, the first two games of the 2017 season, I remember tweeting after the Patriots lost. Matter of fact, Adam was Adam and Kevin was in town, and I remember tweeting, "Fire Sean Payton," and then I deleted it. I never, <laughs> I would never tweet anything like that. But I, it, it just that's how that was the just where I was mentally, you know, so, and that's just me. And I'm trying to be the, you know, the realistic Saints fan or whatever. So imagine the other Saints fan, and then yeah. they rip off a bunch of wins and go to the playoffs or whatever. So, you know, I think Saints fans are just going through it. I wanted to ask you, uh, back when you were with Taz Picayune, I was, you were always my favorite because you kind of, you know, you weren't, you weren't preaching to the fans, but you kind of would come with an optimistic view. And I remember um, you were always – Saints fans were really hard on Malcolm Jenkins. you take bad angles. Oh, man. Just tackles. And you'd be like, look, Malcolm Jenkins is a good safety. <laughs> and we'd get on you. We'd be in the comments. Comment section's getting on you. Uh, and then he left. And obviously, Sean Payton, one of his biggest regrets uh, is letting yeah. Malcolm Jenkins go, and he brought him back. I, I just wonder if you kind of puffed your chest up a little bit when they brought him back. Like, yep. Well, a little you. bit. A little bit, except for I kind of I feel bad for him coming back. I'm it's kind of like Patrick Robinson coming back. I, sometimes I feel like defensive backs are like a, a pitcher going to the Rockies or something. Like for some reason they can't lock into defensive back talent here. Marshawn Lattimore is the first guy to really sustain it. We, we've seen so many guys with so much potential. Um, yeah. Look, Jairus Bird went to three pros before he got here, and then they couldn't unlock it for him here. Um, uh, but look, yeah. And I'm glad you say that, that, look, I, I don't think I am ever the, the cheerleader. Uh, but, yeah, look, I just did it the other day. I, I spoke up, again, on Twitter when people were ripping Eli Apple. I'm like, Eli Apple is not an elite cornerback, but why do people hate Eli Apple so much? I mean, can you name more than 10 or 12 horrible plays? They play 60 60- <laughs> Defensive snaps a game. I mean, there's a reason why they went five and zero with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback, and they were winning games twelve to ten and and, oh. and thirteen to six. You remember DJ Chark and Amari Cooper going off on this team, and then Eli Apple was. Those were good days for the secondary. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sometimes I play cheerleader for a guy, and then sometimes it backfires. I'm like, why did I just spend the last hour and a half on Twitter defending <laughs> this guy? I don't even know if I believe it, but but sometimes I just have to stand up for these guys and. Mount Malcolm was definitely one of them. But my thing with Malcolm was always, look, the results did not happen here. There is no question about that. Um, But I always saw the talent, and I always felt like, man, the Saints need to figure out how to get the talent out of Malcolm Jenkins because it's there. But the results were not there. I mean, I'm not saying he should have been going to two Pro Bowls in New Orleans. That did not happen until he left. That that said – you know, we 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 kind of talk about how how stacked the Saints are. Um, where do you potentially see like an area of like? I think I know me and Ryan and I kind of feel like the depth at linebacker, um, potentially like the outside safety position outside of Jenkins and and Lattimore is very shaky. Where do you see the the holes that still remain on this team? To me, it's defensive end and and the pass rush, partly because. If I was building any NFL team, it would be quarterback and edge rusher. And then, you know, I, I might take two edge rushers with my first five picks if I was building a team. I, I Heading into this offseason before free agency or the draft, I listed uh, receiver one and I think linebacker two and edge rusher three. And then after they got Emmanuel Sanders, it was, it was linebacker and edge rusher for me. Um, I, I still think there's hope for Marcus Davenport, but I think ideally Marcus Davenport is a guy playing 60, 70% of the snaps and rotating in with another guy. And maybe Trey Hendrickson is a serviceable backup, but I, I thought there was 
absolutely room for I th for for more depth, certainly more explosion at edge. Now you absolutely need Marcus Davenport to both stay healthy and reach his potential. Otherwise, uh, one of the most important areas on the football field might become a weakness. Mike, uh, at this point, I mean, it, I guess with Sean Payton, we obviously all Saints fans, you know, love Sean Payton to a certain extent. You know, he's obviously one of the, you know, one of the, I guess, I guess you know, top five coaches in the NFL, you know, for the past, you know, 50, you know, 15 years or so. But I guess there's a, a segment of Saints fans that's like, you know, you've had, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL for, you know, for 15 years, you know, and you've only been able to get to the Super Bowl once and you won it. So I guess... I guess, I guess what I'm asking is, you know, is this – should we expect more out of Sean Payton, especially come playoff time? Yeah. You're this offensive guru, you know, you, you, you're the guy. Should Saints fans expect more or, you know, is that just not being – you know, is that not just seeing the game clearly? Well, I mean, it's somewhere in between, I'm sure, but it's hard to, it's hard to expect more out of Sean Payton. The one thing I would say – if I'm looking at it with my head instead of my heart is 13 and three means a lot. Um, losing in overtime to a really good Vikings team does not cancel out the fact that this team just went 13 and three and they went five and zero with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. I mean, it's <laughs> remarkable, remarkable. This, I mean, they have won more games than any team in the NFL over the last three years, the most more than the Patriots, more than anybody. In the regular season. In the NFC. It, it, yeah, exactly. Exactly. They got the best record in the NFL over the last three years. And that was coming off the heels of those three, seven, and nine seasons where you were not the only one who said fire Sean Payton. Um, he, he was close. He, I don't know that he would have survived one more uh, losing season. Um, and, and he did. And now – so listen to this. That includes that 0-2 start you're talking about. The best record in the NFL over the last three years – Include you know from that point where they went seven and nine seven and nine zero oh and two, nobody's won more games since then. That does not get wiped away for me because of the playoff loss to the Rams, which they actually yeah. won, <laughs> which yeah. they actually won, right. and 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 look at you know the deficit they had at receiver in that game. They attempted a pass in the end zone to Dan Arnold in that game that just mm. they. <laughs> completed touchdown passes to Garrett Griffin and Taysom Hill in that game. And then they're throwing on third and 10 to Tommy Lee Jones. That's what they're Tommy Lee. Lewis. Tommy Lee Jones. Oh my God. But, but, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Maybe, maybe that would have worked. That's who they were down to. I think he was next guy on the bench at that point. So, so that game, I mean, come on, it was a great season. The, the Vikings lost hugely disappointing, obviously, but that was also a good team and did go to overtime. Those two games don't outweigh everything else to me. Um, and they, you know, the other one was the Minneapolis Miracle game that they came back and, and were going to win in, in Minnesota. So Which, to be fair, if you if you look at the first half of that, the first Minnesota playoff game, it yeah. looked like they didn't even belong on the field. Or, yeah, so, yeah. like, that, the yeah. halftime adjustment, yeah. yeah. So, look, he is a top-five coach. He might be more than a top-five coach. I've been really impressed by the way he's reinvented himself. Um, uh, the 2013 team started running the ball and playing defense. That was the year that Pierre Thomas and, and Darren Sproles both caught more than 70 passes out of the backfield when he didn't have the receivers he used to have. Now he has to have a top offense without Drew Brees throwing throwing for 5,400 yards. Now Drew Brees is throwing for 3,900 yards, and they're Whoa. still winning games. He's, he's reinvented himself. He's done it with defense. He's done it with a run game. He's done it with a passing game. You know, I, I, I think every fan deserves to be disappointed that the results have not played out in the playoffs, but I, I wouldn't – they shouldn't want any other coach. I mean, if, if for some reason they, they parted ways, get, every team with the coaching vacancy would line up for, for Sean Payton. Of course, yeah. Um, you you spoke on your kind of I don't want to say like a need, but like the depth behind the defensive line edge rusher position. So I know you had tweeted about it, like this little like percolating of rumor of like the Saints being interested in Davian Clowney, and 
you kind of stuff that out. Um, so typically when, when I hear things, Ryan or myself, like we're pretty con like we'll talk about them, but you know, we don't really kind of put them out in the ether until like it actually happens. And you kind of shut that down. Could you potentially see the Saints going a route of either a clowny or Everest or Griffin or something in, you know, you know, being that they have like I believe like nine million or maybe ten million dollars yeah. in, in cap space? Yeah, a few things there. Well, first of all, that is very tough from a reporting standpoint. I never try to add fuel to something that I haven't done my own reporting on or, you know, that that's definitely out there and it's been reported. And even if I got to say, I can't confirm it. Sometimes I like to ignore those, but about with Twitter, I, I probably had eight people ask me a question and I don't want to be a guy who's just not answering the question. So the, the way I worded it and, and I sat there trying to carefully word it because I cannot completely say this is a false rumor. I'm denying it. I'm just saying I, I have not heard that. You know, I've tried to, to find out, and, and my reporting has not led me to have any indication that they're close to anything with, with Jadavian Clowney. However, my experience and history of covering this team, that's the last thing I would ever rule out because it's exactly the kind of move they make. Um, and it's a position where they need to make a move like that. So, I had already been asking around anything with Clowney or Griffin because it, it seemed uh, uh, something that would help push this team over the top. I just have not uh, had any any had anybody let me know that that sounds like something I should expect to happen. But I'm never going to completely rule it out. The money thing, though, I I still think uh, um, they got to save some of that money for uh, I've. I feel like this is the off season that they got to extend Camara. Now it'd be tough for him to hold out because he would lose a year of service and he'd be restricted free agent next year. But I mean, it's the exact same thing we saw with Michael Thomas last year and he held out and he got his deal. I feel like they got to save that money. And it, even if they're not, even if they're not signing the deal with Camara this year, well, next year they've got to sign him. He'd be an unrestricted free agent next year. They've got to sign Demario Davis next year. Lattimore and Ramchek are right behind it. I don't think the fact that they have $8 million means wait for the splash move automatically because there's other things they could spend it on. So, uh, I mean, all told, I, I like I said in that one tweet, was I'm never going to say never when it came, comes to the Saints in a big move. But, but so far, I have not gotten an indication that that is a likely move. Speaking of Gamera, I mean, what's your gut feeling on him? Because – there's this whole movement of, hey, running backs, you know, don't don't give them big second contracts, you know. And, but at the same time, Kamara is just not a running back. You know, he is yeah. such an important part of the offense. And just just his presence brings so many options to what they do. Um, so, I mean, just in your gut feeling, how do you even approach that? Do you right. go ahead and look at – uh, what Christian McCaffrey got paid, and just say, hey, you know, we just got to pay the guy. Yeah. Or do you try to find that kind of middle ground between Christian McCaffrey and whoever? You know? Yep. Well, the middle ground between Christian McCaffrey and ever. How about Austin Eckler, who just caught like 97 passes last year, and he's only making like six million. So somewhere, be it's somewhere between six and sixteen. Could you imagine how I hope nobody makes me the arbitrator. Could you imagine how running backs were when, like, they saw uh, the Austin Eckler contract? They like they oh had to be. Oh man, uh, but yeah, look, Le'Veon Bell made like thirteen uh, something, uh, um, but then Melvin Gordon only made six. I mean, running backs are—it's impossible. So, um, if Alvin Kamara puts his foot down, he said, "I'm not taking a dollar less than sixteen. I'm not taking a dollar less than fifteen. Oh. No, I'm saying if he did that, I think there'd be an impossible decision on their hands. They have not reached that yeah. point yet. The other thing they could do is they could play hardball and they could say, well, you're playing for $2 million this year uh, or you're sitting out and you'll be a restricted free agent next year. We could franchise you next year. The franchise would be what? I don't even know, but team. So, you know, they have some some leverage there too. Both sides have some leverage. The one thing I do know, though, is – uh, they have not decided to move on from Alvin Kamara. They value Alvin Kamara. They agree with exactly what you just said, which is he's not just a running back. He's a guy that has caught um, uh, – what is it? Is it 81 exactly? I'm drawing a blank now. 81 yeah. passes yeah. in every season exactly. exactly uh, and 81. I think he's good for 100. <laughs> if he had a healthy season, I think he'd hit 100 receptions. 
Um, so they value him very much. The the lull he had last year when all of a sudden the touchdowns went away and he didn't look like himself. They know about his injuries. They absolutely value him. And this is a team that needs playmakers. They still need playmakers, even with Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. The last thing they can do is get rid of one. So this is not a situation. I knew they were going to trade Brandon Cooks. And when they decided to trade Brandon Cooks, when did they do it? During the scouting combine before free agency even started so they could save cap space and get a draft pick. When they traded Jimmy Graham, they did it before the start of free agency so they could free up some cap space and get the draft picks. This year, there was no inklings of them shopping Alvin Kamara uh, before free agency or the draft. They, they've, they've decided they want to keep him. The only thing that will change that is if somehow the, the demands get unrealistic. Thanks for kind of hitting on that because I feel like there's been this, I don't, I don't even know, like this, this movement on Twitter in regards to like this feel of replacing him. And I, I think it's the combination of a lot of running backs who've gotten these second contracts and it's this recency bias of it's all pretty much blown up in almost every team's face for the most part when, when these running backs are getting awarded these contracts. Well, and it's also the Saints – Cap concerns. I mean, if the Saints had $20 million in cash space, I think everybody would be all for it and be like, well, he'll be the one that doesn't blow up. But if you're thinking in your mind, we have to choose between Kamara, Lattimore, Ramchek, we can only keep two, then then maybe you talk yourself him into, into being one of the expendable ones. And I get it. If I ran the Saints and you told me it will cost $15 million a year to re-sign Kamara or we could trade him for the 40th pick in the draft, use that cap space elsewhere and, and, and use that 40th pick on uh, whoever Clyde Edwards Hilaire or something, you know, I'd be like, Oh, that's a tough choice. <laughs> you know, like maybe they do have to trade. I, I understand the argument for doing it, but the only part of it that I know the saints don't agree with, and I don't agree with is that Kamara himself is not a special player. Uh, just, you know, he's, he's still, a, you know, uh, six months ago, those same fans were probably the ones who were mad that, that, McCaffrey was first team all pro and he was second team all pro the year before like you know heading into last season you'd have a hard time finding a Saints fan who would prefer McCaffrey to Kamara oh I don't even think it's even Saints fans I I think like league-wide it was yeah it was tilted towards Kamara and then the injuries happened yeah you're right for sure and and McCaffrey had like the season of all time (laughs) he did he did right but but those but I guess it's just important to remember that six months ago we we had those guys equal in our minds I I agree with you not just Saints fans most NFL analysts Hmm. I got got one for you Mike and you know I mean I'm kind of asking you to dive into the mind of someone so if you can't answer you don't want to answer I completely understand but with all this going on out in the world past week or so, uh, you know, the death of George Floyd and civil unrest that's been happening in the past week or so. Uh, you've had all these athletes come out and kind of make a statement, Twitter post, IG post, something. And with Drew Brees, who is someone we all love, I personally, I mean, I, I just can't even describe how much I appreciate Drew Brees. But, you know, he's been pretty solid on this situation, which has been a trend. I mean, going back to, like, 2016, after the murder of uh, Alton Sterling, there was a, you know, mass protest going on in Baton Rouge. There's a lot going on. And I remember he posted, like, an ad on Twitter. And a lot of Saints fans, you know, understandably were pretty pissed off. You know, as Drew Brees, who is someone who's made himself known commenting on, you know, social situations and, you know, fight for the, you know, fight for equality and, you know, what, you know, what, what, you know, major issues for people, he's made it known for himself to speak up. But in that situation, he's been silent or when he has spoken up, you know, it was the whole Colin Kaepernick thing, stand for the flag. Do you feel like there's any kind of rift? I wouldn't even say rift. Or is there any bubbling tension in the Saints locker room in the past or anything like that with Drew Brees and his whole stance with police brutality, you know, systematic racism and stuff like that. I, I know that's a, that's a loaded question. So, you know, right. I'll take what you can. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I won't try to get in his head and I won't, you know, express an opinion, uh, you know, on what I think about, you know, his response or what it should be. But I, I would say that that year, you know, when he did come out and, and speak out against Kaepernick, um, while other players, you know, sat on the bench uh, uh, during that one game, um, I, I never sensed that that tension bubbled over and became a problem for the team. And, you know, right or wrong, they did reach, you know, some sort of a compromise where they started kneeling and locking arms before the anthem uh, and tried to work together as a team. So it's impossible to know now. There's no locker room now, uh, you know, and I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it's never something that I thought bubbled over and, and, and created tension within the team. But obviously that's a lot of people. I can't speak for Drew and I can't speak for 60 other guys and how they all feel about it in the locker room. Hmm. When speaking, it's not the same topic, but something that uh, Michael Thomas has been known for is uh, you being very Twitter active or social media active in general. Um, have you ever gotten a sense that it's gotten to the point where, like, either the coach or the front office or Sean has been like, "All right, man, like, like, come on." Like, stop. Like, like, calm down, please. Uh, I don't know for sure. Uh, I mean, I know that's such a touchy subject. I, I've never heard of them having to have an intervention with a player and say, you've got to cut this out. I mean, I, I think they, they, you know, tiptoe around those issues too. They don't want to try to curtail what somebody wants to say. But at the same time, I think they do offer advice in certain situations about how something will be perceived or received. I, I'm not sure, um, you know, uh, you know, it's a good point. He's an outspoken guy on Twitter, and I'm not sure how involved they've, they've tried to be uh, in, in coaching him up or, or trying to put demands on him. Um, it feels general Sean Payton is, is a guy who has not um, tried to stifle what people say on social media, and Sean Payton <laughs> certainly is not a guy who's tried to stifle what he himself <laughs> says on social media. <laughs> I mean, he can't say anything now since <laughs> since the way he's been on Twitter this offseason is like, so, Coach, look at your own Twitter feed. <laughs> you know? they're, just, they're just following the lead. Yeah, exactly. I know that, I, look, people feel free to express themselves a lot more when they're winning, right? And we've seen a lot of winning. <laughs> My last one for you, Mike, is uh, I guess – I talked about Malcolm Jenkins earlier and how you would defend him sometimes back when you were with NOLA.com. Um, I guess I've kind of become you with, with Marcus Williams. I just, I don't, for some reason, I don't know why I very, feel the need to defend very, him. Very similar comparison. Though. Yeah. Right. So is he the new Malcolm Jenkins? You know, <laughs> I mean, is he that guy? Um. I feel the same way about Marcus Williams in that I know there's talent there. And, and I just, in general, I have probably spent more breath defending members of the secondary and the offensive line. Those are probably the two positions because they're the two positions where you make, you know, you can make two mistakes a game or shoot four mistakes a month and, and, and be labeled as, as a, as a failure. Um, and obviously, same thing I was saying about Eli Apple earlier. Marcus Williams must be doing something right to be the free safety for a team who everyone would agree has had a better defense over the past two years than they've ever had in the in the Peyton Breeze era. Now, I mean, the, the, the Super Bowl winning defense forced more turnovers, but but as far as actually being able to play some pass defense and, and, and keep a, another team from scoring, uh, their secondary is in good shape these days. So if you think their secondary is in good shape, um, you know, the free safety is probably doing something right. They're not getting routinely beat over the top. I don't, you know, it's hard to say. I don't think I've seen improvement, and that's a disappointment because he was so promising his rookie year and into that second training camp, and we haven't seen him take that second next step. But I also don't think I've seen regression. I, I think he's been about 
the same effectiveness as a player in each of the three yes. years. I mean, she, like pro football focus has him as like, you know, I, I don't always agree with their grades or understand their grades, but I think they had him as like a top five safety in the league this last year. Yeah. He's doing something right. I mean, I, I keep saying this, but um, you know, they've had a top 10 defense the last two years. They've, they've had the best record in the league the last two years. They won games 12 to 10 and 13 to six against the Cowboys, you know, uh, when when Teddy Bridgewater was playing quarterback for him, he's doing something right back there. I, obviously, I think the tackling is so you know there's been a handful of those plays that are just magnified so much. Um, I, I do think there's more potential for him to tap into, but I think if they don't re-sign him next year, which is possible that they won't, with all the other guys we talked about, then he could be the kind of guy like Malcolm or like Kenny Vaccaro who goes on and and I would expect. You know, he's still going to have a bright future, whether it's in New Orleans or somewhere else. He's eventually going to f- figure it out, I think. Yeah. I mean, I would just say, just go watch 2014, 15, and 16. Just look at the highlights. You don't even have to watch the game. And just watch how often they got beat deep. So often. And then go watch 17, 18, and 19. I mean, it's, it's night and day. It's night and day. And that's attributed to his range and to the fear he puts in some quarterbacks as this is a guy that can get to the ball quickly, you know. You know, he has that range, that elite range. But like you said, there hasn't been much progress. I mean, I look at what I wrote about him when I studied him coming out of Utah, and it reads as if you're describing him today. Elite range, good ball skills, Shaky angles, miss a lot of tackles. Here's the problem, though. When he was coming out of Utah, what did he have? Five picks as a junior and five picks as a senior. And then yeah, five total, including the playoffs as a rookie. Um, if he got those five every year, it would it would cure a lot of problems. I think people want to see those those home runs to balance out the, the occasional mistake. I, I think I think that would improve his uh, – his, his uh, reputation or perception a, a little more yeah. if, he, if he was still, you know, if it was home runs and strikeouts, people appreciate that a little more than, uh, you know, batting, batting 300 with strikeouts. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny that you say you back to Malcolm Jenkins and, and it all comes around to my defense of Malcolm Jenkins. One thing that, that shocked me. And again, I never know if I, if it's the same fans that hate one thing. I don't know if it's the same fans that hate Marcus Williams and Eli Apple that love Von Bell and, and, and hated the Malcolm Jenkins signing. And I think to myself, I'm like, all right, so we all agree there is great talent in the secondary. Like Lattimore's fantastic. Marcus Williams has so much potential. Janoris Jenkins is a stud. Um, CJ Gardner Johnson, everybody seems to love. Von Bell, they really like. We had, there was all this talent, and yet all these sins, you know, like the 49ers game, uh, you know, the occasional breakdown, the George Kittle play that, you know, and it's like, so shouldn't people think, hey, maybe the missing piece was a coach on the field type, um, who, you know, I, I don't know why Von Bell was, was innocent of all those things and all the other people are guilty. I mean, I think I, I liked Von Bell a lot too. I, I would have, you know, I thought he was close to Pro Bowl potential himself too. But it's like maybe Malcolm Jenkins is the missing piece for, you know, maybe that's what has been missing is, is, is a little more knowledge and, and veteran savvy in the secondary. I don't know that's the case, but you, you'd think there'd be more support for a move to that because it's the only thing the secondary has had is inconsistency the talent is definitely there yeah that's a good point uh because that's the secondary has been very young like you know very young and that you know grow grew kind of have grown together but they've still have lacked kind of that you know that that coach on the field as you speak you speaking spoken to the last one that i i had for you mike is that um one position that i'm still very shaky about um, outside of Demario Davis is the, the linebacker position, just in terms of the depth and the known in injury history of Anzalone, yeah. Kiko Alonso, uh, Zach Bond transitioning to being an off the ball linebacker. Um, do you see it as a position that could cause concern with, I mean, you could say this about all positions, but one injury, yeah. but I feel like that linebacker position is so magnified that, if a person goes down, which history has shown may happen, you know, it, it could 
put the Saints in in dire straits at the linebacker position. No, you're, you're right. And look, we labeled that as the right after they got Emmanuel Sanders anyway. Um, receiver and linebacker were the two positions we talked about all offseason that they obviously needed to address. And Zach Vaughn alone is not going to fix that. Um, I, I, you know, everybody else, I, I kind of like, you know, like Anzalone, he's shown some nice things when healthy. Kiko Alonso showed a few decent, nice things when healthy last year. Greg Robertson, definitely a solid backup when, when healthy. Uh, and, and the only other thing that keeps me from labeling, I guess the only reason I rank defensive end ahead of that is, we just don't rank linebacker as the most important position on the field in general. Usually they only have two on the field. Um, you know, uh, I think those Tampa Bay games last year, they, you know, they, they might've had three linebackers on the field for a total of four plays. Um, you know, it's, you know, you build your team with the, you know, I always think we all, you know, tend to go to the same ones, quarterback, edge rush, second or pass rush, secondary and, and offensive line protecting the quarterback. So that's why it, it doesn't scream to me, but yeah, no question. If, if Demario Davis isn't playing in a game, that's an incredible deficit. No doubt about it. Well, Mike, we don't want to keep you too long. Thank you for, for coming on and, and, and joining us. You know, we wanted for sure to get you on. Um, you've been such a such a huge voice in, in Saints media for such a long period of time that it's it's, it's been a pleasure having you on. Um, and with everything going on, continue to stay safe, continue to be well, uh, but we loved having you on. Well, I appreciate you guys asking me. I, I, I like what you guys are doing and uh, I like following you, uh, as I said, the same way uh, you guys like following me. So. Thanks for having yeah, me on. Yeah, we appreciate it, man. I like, feel like you're part of the family. Like anytime someone's tweeting about Saints, uh, supposed signing so and so or whatever, first one of the first people I go check is Mike Triplett. Just see what's going on, you know, because I know you're not coming with any hot takes, no BS. You're going to report it if it's good or bad or whatever, you know. And you always bring your honest opinion, and uh, and you always. What I always appreciated about you is you're kind of a glass half full kind of guy, but you're not to the point where you're going to be dishonest. You tell the truth if it's bad, but you you give the brighter side. And I always appreciated that because us as fans, hey, we're fans, we're fanatics, we're crazy, we're emotional, but you kind of always kept kept that even keel, and we appreciate it. You know, so no, no, I, no. I, I agree with that, and, and I like that that's your perception of me. But what's funny is I, I think I'm a glass half full guy because I've covered the Saints for <laughs> for 15 years. I don't, I've always won. And you know what's funny is before I came and started covering the Saints in 05, I covered LSU in 03 and 04, and, you know, they won the national championship. Before that, I covered the 49ers in San Francisco. They went to the playoffs the years that I covered them. I, I what kind of reporter I'd be if I covered the Jets for the last 15 years? <laughs> Could I possibly still be seen as a glass half full kind of guy? But I think I think it is important to be glass half full when when you cover a team that that's won as much as the Saints because uh, there are a lot of empty glasses out there around the league. That's true. Yeah, that's true. The, only, the last thing I'll say, Mike, is that when the world gets back to normal and there's actual football games, there's a game in LA or something that we're that we're together. You, you got to ride the bull. It, it's it, it's it's going to go down. I won't I I won't rule it out. Boom. <laughs> Thanks for you. <laughs> you can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Triplet. Uh, Mike Triplet of ESPN. Thank you again for coming on, man. We greatly appreciate it. All right. Thank you, guys. You have a go ahead. That was that. That was a good combo. That was good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love Mike, man. I always love Mike. Good dude. So we, Ryan and I, kind of just wanted. I mean, I I feel like we would be remiss if we just laughed and talked about Saints football and not talk about like the real shit that's going on right outside our doors right now. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't even I don't even know where to start. Um, I mean, I'll let you share your thoughts and I'll and I'll just share mine of just kind of where we are right now and, you know, and the world and everything going on? Well, first I want to say I'm not, I'm not the type of guy that's going to put a message out and saying, hey, you need to think like this or this is what you need to be doing or anything like that. That's just not me. 
you know, everybody are individuals. Everybody's flawed. Everybody has their own personality traits. Some people have empathy. Some people don't. You know, some people have a little more than others. You know, so I, I can't I can't make that kind of message to be like, hey, you know, I have plenty of people on Twitter or that are out there in the universe are just much better than that than me. I, I just wanted to kind of just get out my thoughts because I just kind of sat back and watched this past week first getting on Facebook and watching George Floyd's murder, murder, and seeing a man's soul leave his body. You know, that's not something you see every day. And seeing that inflicted upon him, it's, it's stuff soldiers come home from wars with PSD, suffering from PSD, you know? So, and, but this is something we have seen constantly, you know, for years, especially today with the advent of, you know, cell phone cameras and stuff like that. So, you know, it affects us, man. And, you know, as a black man growing up in America, you know, I'll be the first to tell you, I, I, you know, I enjoy my living standards. I'm, you know, I have a relatively good life in America, but there's some things, some things that's messed up, man. And what you're seeing outside, all the riots and the looting and the protests, you know, you're seeing rage, mm -hmm. you know, pure, unfiltered rage. People are pissed off, man. I would say this about the black community in America. You, there are plenty of communities, plenty of uh, ethnical groups, ethnic groups that have been through a lot, you know, in their home countries, they've suffered, they've been, they've been oppressed. And I'm not in some kind of Olympic, oppression Olympics saying who suffered the no, most. That's not a competition. <laughs> right, it's not a competition. But the black experience is very specific. We weren't immigrants. We didn't come to this country on our own voluntary means. We were brought here forcefully, you know, by the sword, by the gun, whatever, chain, forced to be here, forced into labor for hundreds of years without pay, you know. This has an effect after slavery, reconstruction, Black codes, Jim Crow, for decades, this has an effect. You know, for every reaction, that, for every action, there's a reaction in this world. You know, for every human, and we've been on this, you know, multi-century trajectory, and today here we are, where we're seeing this rage. You know, and I know there's a lot of people out there that saying, "Well, looting." Looting is not the answer, or you know, protesting. Oh, we've been protesting for decades. What has that gotten us? There's so many people out there talking, and I'm just listening to everybody, and it's just so frustrating. Like I don't even have answers. I'm not. If you're looking for an answer from me, I have none. I just have frustration, man. And like in 2020, we're still so frustrated. You know, what what, what has changed? Like that's that's like nothing. Yeah. Nothing has fucking changed. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care. Like I'm gonna, I don't. I, I remember sp speaking of this. Um, you know, people who might know my story, they they may not know or whatever. So my daughter is half black, quarter Korean, quarter white. My ex-wife, I remember when she was five or five or six, and we got into this huge argument. So if people tend to see my daughter, they have no idea that she's mixed. Not that it matters. She looks primarily black correct so we got into this huge my daughter's 10 now this was back when she was five or six probably five we got into this huge debate that she did not want me to have a conversation with my daughter explaining race to her explaining police mm -hmm. to her and as a black man and as a black father i said listen you don't like you don't know what it's like people in the world that see our daughter is not going to see her and be like oh she's a quarter white oh she's a quarter no she's black and that's yeah. it and 
she needs to know what the world is like and she needs to know what the reality is like because if we keep her in this bubble with this rainbow over her head she's going to get to a world and it's going to be a rude fucking awakening and so as a black male who has a kid like that and that's i think that's the biggest thing i've always tried is i've tried to instill in my daughter like this world is it's hard especially for people like us it's hard and all i can do as a parent is try to make the world as easy as i can for her but when you see stuff that's happening in our world that's been happening for years it's it's a feeling of just feeling so defeated like hmm. like what what can we do and like and, you said and, we don't and, have the answers right. and it's 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 difficult and my daughter who in kindergarten and in first grade experienced racism in school at such a, such a young age ryan where in kindergarten, they were petting the class turtle. And someone in her class said, oh, you can't pet the class turtle, you're black. Oh. In first grade, she was getting a drink from the water fountain and someone from behind her said, oh, you can't be drinking from this fountain. Referencing Jim Crow segregation laws. This is in California. This is like, this is, nothing, so nothing has made me more irate, you know, as a parent than hearing stuff, like, I feel like as me, like, it sucks to say this, but like, I'm fucking 32. Like, I, yeah. I'm from Texas. I can deal with, I'm, I can deal with racism. Like, it's not something that I'm not used to. But when it's to my kid, to my, my kid that I am here to protect, it's an, it, it sets off this, this rage, this inner rage inside me mm -hmm. that I almost went to the school and some heads were about to roll. And I, yeah. feel, and I feel like, you know, that was what, she was five, she's five years later and no, nothing's changed. Nothing's Nothing. changed. Nothing, man. And it's uh, so frustrating because look, I'm 38 and growing up as a young child, I didn't experience much racism. You know, I you lived a normal little life of a kid playing outside. You know, as a majority black community, I just never even thought about it other than what I read and what I saw on TV. And then we were, there were the, uh, uh, the Rodney King beating. I remember it clearly. You know, I was coming of age to where I could understand what was going on. And seeing him getting beat on the news by police on defense, you know, in, you know, not even to be able to defend himself, you know, it struck me. And then I remember the police getting off. And that effect, I, I didn't understand it. I was like, ma, how could they not get off? Like we saw on camera what they did. I just didn't get it. And then I saw the riots afterwards in LA and all that stuff. And, you know, it, and then years later, you know, and then I become a teenager and I start to feel that I'm the target, you know, when I'm out, you know, in the streets, just being me, you know what I'm saying? Not causing any trouble or nothing. But I see how they look at me. I see mm -hmm. that even if I'm in, in my own community, you know, it's like I'm an infiltrator and they own it, you know. So that's when I started to realize at an early age, I see what Ice Cube was talking about. I see what my brother was telling me. I see what my mom and dad was talking about. So I started to realize it. And then you get older and older, and you get pulled over, you get mm. jacked up by the police mm. constantly, constantly. And you get that fear, you know? And man, I mean, I grew up, there was gunshots, there was all kinds of stuff, crackheads, you name it, man. But I never, you never, I never had the fear of like getting pulled over. Pulled over. Late at night with them blue and red lights, man. Like that's fear because you know nothing you could do. There nothing. ain't nothing you could do, man. Completely. You know? helpless and this and so and this is what if, if you're white listening to our podcast like whatever this is this is not a podcast to try to open your eyes but this is this is what we deal with on the on a, on a daily like this is our lives so an analogy i'm i once made and i and i recently tweeted it and i feel still it's a really important analogy and it, it's more geared towards women but 
if you're a woman, white woman, what doesn't matter, if you're a woman and you have this fear, like if you leave a party, you leave a friend's house, whatever, movies, whatever, and you're walking to your car to like a parking structure and it's late and it's dark and you have that fear or that dread that you, you don't know. You may get mugged, someone could try to sexually assault you. You don't, you don't know. As a man, I'll never understand. I'll never be able to have that fear. Because we, like, as men, we don't, we don't fear that when we walk to our cars. We, we just, naturally, we're men. We're like, oh, well, yeah. shit, we're going to walk to our car. Like, nothing's going to happen right. to us because we're men. So we don't understand that. We don't, we, we don't, we can't put ourselves in that fear, but we can understand, like, shit. Like, I can understand why a woman would feel this way when she's put in a situation like that. So I use that analogy to say, imagine that fear, and that's us getting pulled over. That's us being out and about living life as, as a Black person in America. That fear that a woman may have just walking to their car and it's secluded is our lives living in America every day, which is insane. It's utterly insane. Like, yeah. all, like all these things that happened, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, like, and it's still like where... I hate to say it, but like, where's the progress? Hmm. Where? And here's the thing. The police, they are the arm of the state. I don't mean state like Louisiana, Texas. I mean, a government body that has sovereignty over a geographical area. They are the state. And what is the state? The state is violence. And it's just what it, it, it that's what it is. They have legal monopoly of violence over you. A policeman can kill you and they are given the benefit of the doubt. Period. So all this going on, all this that's going on, the protests, civil unrest, all this is going on is a frustration of a bigger picture of racism, but really it's specifically about the police and how they view the black community. They view the black community like soldiers invading Iraq or Syria or wherever. It's occupied territory. Mm. And they've never we've never had a community relationship with the police. I've never experienced that in my life. You know? So it's it's a us versus them mentality. And this is not just me, this is my dad. You know, he was born in 1944. You know, this is going back generations before the police even exists, when it was slave catchers, you know? So we never had that experience that, say, the Irish had. The Irish, they've been through a ton. You know, people talk about Irish slavery. It wasn't slavery, it was, you know, indigenous servitude. We could play semantics. But they went through a lot, granted. They were discriminated against, you know. They dominated the police force eventually. You know, we never had that. You know, they, so many ethnic groups have gotten to be able to take a part in American experience that black people haven't. You know, and even though there are black cops out there, as Patrick Claiborne said, you know, that's like trying to change lending discrimination by changing the blank bank tellers. No, mm. it doesn't work. It's a mm -hmm. system, it's rooted hundreds of years deep, you know, all the way up to the Supreme Court for you to make changes. And what those changes are, how do we change them? I'm gonna be honest, man, I have no, no idea, man. No, I have no, no idea. No. I've watched, I've looked at Twitter, everybody got answers, as Twitter does. Everybody knows what to do. <laughs> you vote, you protest, you riot, you call your congressman, you, you know, make a regular song about it, you sing, whatever. Everybody got an answer. I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, man, because it's been this long and we still hadn't got there. So all I'm saying is, I, I just wanted to put my thoughts out on the uh, on some of the civil unrest, the you know, the looting and the riots. I'm gonna be honest. I'm not a big fan of the looting. I just, you know, I just. I just that's just not me. I look at people starting businesses and they have their own businesses. Yes, I know some of them are 
multi-billionaires, and some of them aren't. Some of them are small businesses. I'm just not a fan of destroying property, but I get it. I understand because it's yeah. way. Yeah. You got, I mean, you, you have pushed the black community to this point where we don't care. You know, we'll burn it down. My only thing is I hope some people step back and try to think. Because in the 60s, when there were a lot of riots, you had leadership. You know, well, especially before King got killed, you had leadership. So when there was civil unrest, you had somebody working the back channels, somebody going to talk to Lyndon Johnson, somebody going to talk to the governors of the state saying, look, we need these bills passed. We need this legislation to happen to make this change or else this is going to happen. Right now, I don't see that leadership. It's just a bunch of young mad kids that's understandably mad, man. And I don't know what's going to stop them, honestly. Like they, they have the energy to to continue this for for a while, it for do. a minute, and neither of us have the answers. But it, we we needed to to talk about it because it's so relevant. It's so it's it's our reality. Like let's let, like let's be blunt. Like it is our reality, you know. Mm. And you're 38. I'm 32. I'm trying to think, like, I know it's not going to happen in my lifetime, in our lifetime. That's a wrap. There's no way. There's none. But, like, as as a father, I'm hoping that, you know, when my daughter's, you know, 32, 40, whatever, that, man, can shit be a little better? Like, yeah. just, just just a little, you know, like, yeah. that's, that's it. Like, some type of progress. And at this point, like, I... I there isn't any, and it's, it's, uh, I'm going to stop, but it's always interesting to me, like, like, you see, like, this whole movement and shit on Twitter now, like, like, where, where is this shit, like, before this death? Because, like, yeah. this death didn't, stop. like, this shit, it's, has always gone on, and yeah. it's, it's just easier if you're celebrity or brand or whatever, whoever, whatever to just ignore it, even, even just regular people, to just ignore it. It's like, oh, shit, no. don't affect me. I'm living my life. Right. Like, it's just, yeah. that's, that, it's that bystander effect. And then, like, it's like this mob mentality of, like, this happened. Oh, now we're going to speak out. Mm-hmm. Well, well, shit, <laughs> where were y'all before? Like, nothing, nothing's changed. It, it just another yeah. black man being killed on camera. Like, that's happened over the last decade, numerous times. And then right. I feel like it's, it, it's a new story right now. Give it what? A month? Month and a half? Gone. Two weeks. <laughs> I, I, told, I told you on text, man. Two weeks? Gone. Going to be in the news about something or whatever. That's maybe me being nihilistic. Maybe this is a turning point, you know? I don't know. But I'm just hoping there's there's some kind of leadership that that turns up out of this because, you know, when you're dealing with something like this, as big as system, you know, systemic racism, you need leadership. You need someone for the so-called leaders to talk to. And right now that doesn't exist. It doesn't. So, so that, that's going to need to happen. At some point, somebody's going to have to step up, you know, if there's going to be a change. But, you know, I, I just can't ignore my underlying feeling is uh, at 30 years old, you know, 30 years on this earth, this is just going to be the same old same, man. Same next old. year, next year, somebody's going to be on camera getting killed, and it's going to be the same thing, you know. So I just hope that isn't the truth. I hope I'm just being stupid, you know. So if people want to, you know, unfollow me for feeling that way or, you know, they don't agree with me, I understand, man. I'm just a dude sitting at home, I read a lot, I read a lot of history, I read a lot about economics, and, you know, I think I got a good grasp on the historical effects of uh, systemic racism on the black community. I just don't have an answer, man, and I wish I did. I mean, we, we all wish we did. We all wish we could, we could do something to fix it, make it better, and we just, it's, 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 a, it's a paralyzing feeling. It's a, it's a paralyzing yeah. feeling 
to not have an answer. It's the same type of paralyzing feeling that we have as black men or black people when we see those lights go off behind us and we get pulled over. Like it's a paralyzing feeling. Um, and I just want to add this: like we got to go to work tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Oh. We just got to go to work tomorrow. Like la la, everything all good. And if you like, I mean, I really, you know, I really appreciated Patrick talking about it when we talked to Patrick Claybine. You know, obviously, the higher you get, depending on the industry, sometimes you're the only black dude in the room. Speak on it. Speak on it. I mean, I'm in IT at my company, and it's a fairly big company. I'm the only black man in the room when we meet, bro. The only one. I'm a a male social worker, so I'm a minority two ways being a male and social worker. Man. You know? And it's like, how do I process it, you know? How, do I, how am I supposed to process? Because you, because you know, there, there's going to be one person. Well, Ryan, I just don't understand why yeah. they're just like. In- <laughs> or the one that's like, hey, did you see those riots going on? What's up with that? Like, I'm supposed to be the spokesman of the black community, and don't don't make no mistake. I'm going to rep. You know, I'm a rep. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, it's just like. Damn, man! Like this is just so. This is wearing me out. Like, damn. It's only it's only been what a week, a few. I don't even know how long it's been. I lost I've lost sense of time at this point. But that's that's um, all I got, man. I'm not I'm not about to waste people's time no more. I just want to just vent a little bit, man. Yeah, you, you know? gotta gotta let it. And if, like like Ryan said, like he's more of a. You can unfollow him if if you don't like what we said or you don't like where we're coming from. You can just block. It. You can block me. The blocking like I, I I don't I really don't care because like, <laughs> like I'm not gonna you know this is our life this is our experience like you're not gonna sully it and whatever I'm not gonna get into it so but listen to the podcast you can always listen oh, for, for, for sure stay stay subscribed give us a five five star saints twitterpod.com yes we have our own URL saints twitterpod.com oh man um. With that, we're gonna get out of here. Uh, I don't even know what's on deck. You know, I think we talked talked football as much as we can talk football. We're gonna start just getting people on here just to chop it up, just to chop it up at this point. Yeah, just something. But we got something cooking. But we got some cooking. Like when the season's when the season is getting close to rolling, once we really figure out what's going on, we got some big things coming. Coming fantasy drafts. I mean, you know, fantasy football. Uh, that actually means that actually mean Ryan's gonna actually participate in the fantasy football league, which is, <laughs> and I'm which, gonna lose, which is comedy in itself. But it's all good. We got big things coming though, so keep following, subscribe, all that stuff. Yeah, you know, we we we, we love the support. Uh, we, all the support we get on Twitter, we we appreciate it. Because um, I mean, at the end of the day, we're doing we're doing this for the fans. We, you know, we do this out fun. Um, but at the same time, we're people, we're going to keep shit real, you know, because this is real life stuff that we're dealing with. So, um, you can follow Ryan on Twitter at that boy wolf. Uh, don't follow me on Twitter. It's fine with that. We're out. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.